You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this great vision that Isaiah has been seen and recorded for us a vision that father you have been pleased to give to him for uh, his own edification as well as the edification of your church uh, your people father as we gather around uh, these words father we ask that lord you'd be pleased to open your word to our hearts and open our hearts lord to your word that father we may be filled uh, uh, this morning with your your good things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. This morning we come to our last message of 2017 and I wanted to end on a real high note. Uh, don't want to end on a low note, <laughs> a high note. I, I will confess it's going to take me a little while to get to the high note. I was looking things over this morning and I'm thinking, boy, it sure takes a while to get to the high note, but there will be a high note. I'm just giving you a heads up. It takes a little while to get there. Um, you know, if you've ever done any hiking or anything, you know, it's, I was thinking of Seneca Rocks, you know. Has anybody ever been to Seneca Rocks or any of those places? Down? You look up and it doesn't look that bad until you start walking, you know. It takes a little while to get up there. Uh, this morning shouldn't be quite that bad, but uh, it does take a minute or two to get up there. Uh, there are a number of things we need to gather on our way up, and I want to do it carefully. So in Isaiah 2, as I said in my prayer, we have a, an incredible vision of hope, just an incredible vision of hope. And um, the job of the prophet, really, I mean, I think sometimes we think when we read the prophets that the prophet's job is to proclaim judgment. Because we find so many words of judgment, especially in Isaiah, you find these words of judgment. But uh, if you if you read and you read and you read, you, you'll see that there are plenty of, of gems of grace that are woven in with those words of judgment. And the whole job of the prophet really is to call the people of God to covenant faithfulness. And um, that actually is the, the job of pastoral ministry as well, is to call uh, not not only the congregation, but even uh, uh, I can say as a pastor to, to call yourself as well 
uh, to covenant faithfulness. We're called to love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul and all of our strength. And we are constantly bombarded with temptations to love everything more than we love God, are we not? Uh, so we need that constant call uh, to, to look past this, to look to God who has given us all of these great things. And I thought this might be a good way to conclude, you know, 2017 is just to take a look, uh, to, to, to see if we can climb to the top of Isaiah 2 and just have a look uh, around up there. Last week I spoke of this uh, idea of fainting and belief. You know, I, I think that was kind of coming because, you know, as, as, we, um, as we conclude 2017 and we go into 2018, it, it's somewhat of a hallmark for us because that's going to make 10 years uh, since this ministry began as a Bible study in the living room of our home. And uh, that's really a hallmark. I, I know for some of us here, it's quite a hallmark. I'm looking around and there, there's one, two, three, four. Uh, myself would be five, Tim. There was six. That's about the size of the Bible study at that time, too. It was about six folks, seven folks, eight. And uh, here we are 10 years later. Uh, so it's, um, it's a hallmark for us as we enter into 2018. But over the course of the last 10 years, uh, Tri-State Community Church has not been any different than any other church in the respect that we've seen so many people come and go. That, that's been my experience in every ministry I've been a part of. Um, so many people come and so many people go. So many people come and so many people go. And it has me thinking about, you know, fainting in belief. Um, you know, I was talking with 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 someone earlier this week and it was in regards to the message I preached last week and we were talking about that idea of fainting and you know when a person faints sometimes it can happen all at once and you just faint but a lot of times you you get disoriented you get dizzy you get uh, lightheaded uh, there's a little bit of a warning a faith is like that too um, sometimes we can we can fall on our faith, but it happens gradually. It happens over time, till suddenly we we just we realize there's this numbness and um, towards God, and it's very dangerous. And we must persevere to the end if we are to be saved. We must persevere to the end if we are to be saved. And in Isaiah two, we have a vision here. A, a, a vision that God has put before us that can warm our hearts, it can strengthen our faith, it can buttress it, it can invigorate it. And there's a clear purpose here. If you look down to verse 5, look at the words here where verse 5 it says, Come, let us what? Walk in the light of the Lord. And it's my prayer that this message may be used to stimulate us afresh to do just that in 2018. That in 2018, we'll, we'll walk in the, in the light of the Lord. Uh, does, that sound, does that sound good? All right, let's look. Let's dig in. Isaiah begins his oracle. He writes the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw in verse 1. You see that? A couple of things stick out to the reader here or stick out to us. 
for me, the word sticks out. Um, I, you know, that as you well know, I mean, I've always tried to keep my ministry a word centered ministry, a Christ centered ministry. I don't know how to do anything else. I don't want to know how to do anything else. This is all I know how to do. And it's all I want to know how to do. Uh, open up the Bible. You start in verse one. You do as best you can in verse one. Then you go to verse two. You do as best you can in verse two and you go to verse three. Um, it's because I really believe that what we need is to hear from God. We don't need to hear from people. We need to hear from God. And when we've heard from God, changes take place in our lives. And when those changes take place, what do we want? We want to hear more from God. And that's what we have here. We have the word that Isaiah has received. It's the word here. And I don't need to spend a lot of time uh, with you, I, I, I know you know that this is not just Isaiah's word, but it's God's word, isn't it? But a few observations about it. Uh, I want to give you three observations about the word. And I would like, if you could, as best you can, to try to make them a watermark, if you will, over everything else that gets said afterwards. Uh, the first thing that I would say about the word is it doesn't change. God's word doesn't change. You know, um, we think about the message of the world and how much it changes. Eggs are good for you. I used to hear that when, when I was a little kid. Eggs are good for you. Then I started hearing eggs aren't good for you. Uh, wait a second. You said eggs are good. No, they're not good for you. Well, then they were good for you again. Uh, wait a second. You said they were bad. Bad. No, but before that, we said they were good. And eggs are good for you. Just eat the egg whites. Don't eat the yolks. The yolks are bad. Uh, then you hear, well, you know, the yolks are okay. You know, listen, I have no idea if eggs are good for you or bad for you. If you like eggs, eat them. Just eat them in moderation, right? In moderation. I don't know if they're good for you. I don't know if they're bad for you. I've heard both. I don't think anybody really knows. These are theories, aren't they? They're theories. You know, God doesn't have any theories. Have you ever thought about that? He doesn't have a single one theory. Not a single one. No theories. I mean, look the word up, the word theory up in the dictionary. It'll say something like a supposition or system of ideas intended to explain something. You think God needs anything like that? Yeah, I don't really know what's going on here, but this is what I think's going on here. Uh, that's not God. God knows exactly what's going on. When we get to heaven, we can ask him about the eggs. Are they good for you or not? We're not eternal. You know, we've not always been around to see everything that takes place. I remember talking with a man probably six, eight years ago about creation. And his position at that time was agnostic position. It means he didn't think you, you could know if God existed or not. And I was explaining creation from Genesis to him. And I said, you know, God just said, listen, let there be. And all of a sudden things started appearing. And I asked him what he thought about that. And he says, I don't know. I wasn't there. He is correct. None of us were there, were we? We, we really haven't been around for very long, have we? In the grand scheme of eternity, I mean, we are but what, a sneeze? Uh, we weren't there. We act like we were there, but we weren't there. 
And furthermore, uh, we're not omnipresent. We can't even see everything that's taking place right now, can we? If, if you think about everything that's taking place in the cosmos, how much of it are we actually aware of that's going on? How much of it escapes our notice? 99.9999999% of it escapes our notice. Because we can't see all things at once, can we? And besides that, our understanding is so limited, isn't it? I mean, we've done great things. Don't get me wrong. I appreciate I, 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 we've really done remarkable things, but our understanding is so limited in the grand scheme of things, isn't it? It's, it's unlimited. And because of, we haven't been in it everywhere and because we're not able to see everything that takes place and because we have limited understanding, we have to form theories about stuff, don't we? We have to form theories and our theories are always changing. As we gain more light, we alter those theories, we change those theories, we modify those theories. Sometimes we just abort those theories altogether, but God's word, it doesn't change. It's steadfast. God has been around for everything that has taken place. He was there when he said, let there be, and everything came to pass. And God actually can see everything at once. There is nothing that takes place that escapes his notice, and he has no limits to his understanding. Therefore, he has no theories. He doesn't have a single one, and his word doesn't change. That's the first point. I want you to try to make a watermark, if you will. This word, it doesn't change. It's not going to change. It doesn't change. Second thing is God's word can be trusted. We know that, don't we? It's impossible for God to lie. That's what Hebrews 6.18 teaches us. It's impossible for God to lie. So when he tells us something, it's true. We don't need to question it. We don't need to worry about it. It's, it's true. It's not going to change, and it's true. And thirdly, it's powerful. It can breathe life into death. It can literally breathe life into death. Jesus says, Lazarus, get your butt out here. And what happens? He's dead in the tomb. What happens? God's word brings life to Lazarus' dead body, doesn't it? God's word brings light into darkness. God's word brings hope into hopelessness. It's amazingly powerful. Now, again, let's make these three things. God's word doesn't change. It can be trusted and it breathes life into, into, into death. It brings uh, hope into hopeless. Let that form a watermark, if you will, on everything that I say afterwards. If we go back to verse one, Isaiah writes the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw. Now, that, now there's something really peculiar about that. I mean, wouldn't you expect it to read the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, heard? I mean, if, if, if I say the word here, can you see that? Usually we think of words as something that we hear, not something that we see. But look at the line. Look how it reads. It's the word that Isaiah saw. I, I, I find this to be so fascinating. And if you meditated on it just for a short period of time, I think 
you'll also not only find it fascinating, you'll find it precious. Why do I say these things? Because of what's going on here. What happens? What's happening to Isaiah? God is raising him up in a sense, if you will. He's raising his 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 mind and his heart. He's raising him up, if you will, so that he might be able to see things that are in the divine mind of God. Things he otherwise would not be able to see. And I, why is God doing this? Well, he's doing this so that Isaiah can record these things so that when we turn to the prophecy of Isaiah, we might be able to look at the word that the son of Amos saw and see it with him. In other words, we're seeing this so that God may, through the words of Isaiah, through his word, through Isaiah, may lift all of us up so that we may be able to see the things that he saw. And that's not only fascinating, that's precious, isn't it? That like in this moment in time right now, we could actually be brought up into the divine mind to be able to see these things. Do you, do you believe that? I hope so, because that's where we're going. I told you we're going to get up there. It's going to take us a little while to get up there, but we're going to go. That's where we're going. We're going to go up there to see what Isaiah saw. What did Isaiah see? Well, before we get up there, um, a couple of other comments. When we write letters, it's customary to include the, the addressee. Uh, we will sometimes write to whom it may concern. Um, Isaiah 2 one's no exception. And we're told that this word is a word that Isaiah saw concerning what? Judah and Jerusalem, right? Do you see that? I want you to see that. It'd be easy to skip that. Why do I want you to see that? Because this is a word that's addressed uh, to the people of God, the people of God in the in the eighth century. That's the primary. That's the original audience. But of course, uh, through them to the people of God in every generation. Correct. Things we all know, but sometimes we take for granted. OK, what is this vision? What is this vision of hope? Well, uh, here we're going to see the great work of God and and uh, it's it's it strengthens it comforts it's buttressing our faith. But another comment concerning it before we go. And this one comes from Calvin, and I think it's very insightful. In commenting on these verses, Calvin writes, Hence we learn what was the advantage and design of visions. And again, I've been using the word vision to, to describe what's taking place here, because it is a vision that Isaiah saw. It's a word that Isaiah sees. And Calvin writes, Hence we learn what was the advantage and design of visions. For since doctrine sometimes has not sufficient weight with us, God therefore adds visions that by means of them he may seal his doctrine to us. Let me read that to you again, because that's hard to get a hold of when you're just sitting there listening to it read. Hence we learn what was the advantage and design of visions. For since doctrine sometimes has not sufficient weight with us, God therefore adds visions that by means of them he may seal his doctrine to us. What's Calvin saying? Well, Calvin is, is saying that we're always tempted to downsize the importance of doctrine. 
sometimes I think we think, oh, you know, those guys back in the 1500s, they were just just all about doctrine. You know, they had no trouble with this like we do today. They were just always on about doctrine. But when you read the preachers from that era, guess what? They were experiencing many of the same struggles that we are, practically all of the same struggles that we are experiencing. Some of them say, boy, if I could get a vision, you know, I could I just go out with all the doctrine if I could just get a vision, you know, if I could just get a vision here. But what Calvin is saying to us is saying, yeah, in Scripture, we have these marvelous visions. But listen, the visions aren't it's not to be an either or thing here. It's not okay. It's not that we would embrace visions and forget about doctrine. But no, the visions are given to us so that we would embrace the doctrine the way that we should embrace the doctrine. So they're helpmates to doctrine. They're not, um, they're not to be taken as an either or basis. Now, why do I say all of this? Because it's a real temptation that many have fallen into to say out with the confessions, out with the creeds, out with this, out with that, out with the Apostles' Creed, out with the Nicene Creed, out with the Westminster Confession of Faith, out with the catechisms, out with all of this stuff. You know, when you start throwing all that stuff out, you're on your way to throwing the Bible out as well. And what is to replace all of this? Well, to replace all this will be personal vision. It's always a temptation. You know, how do we know when we've got there? Well, you'll start hearing the Lord told me language. The Lord told me language, you know, where you you got folks saying, well, you know, I, I, I have something to share with you. The Lord told me to tell you this or the Lord told me to do this or the Lord told me not to do this. And it's spoken so flippantly. Like it's no big deal. If the Lord told me to tell someone in this room something. That would be an incredibly big deal. Because what authority would be behind what I am supposed to tell you? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? There would be incredible. It would have the authority, the same authority where God said, let there be and everything began. It would be on an equal footing with that. And we can run around and we can speak. Oh, the Lord told me to tell you this. The Lord told me to tell you this. Forget what we even said a day later or two days later. That's a warning sign that the creed has given way to personal vision. And, and um, well, at any rate, back to Isaiah. Isaiah begins this great vision, which is meant to seal God's doctrines to our hearts. It's not meant to replace doctrine. It's meant to seal it. If you look at verse 2. Isaiah says it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. Let's look at that again. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted above the hills. A couple of things were in comment here. First, the phrase in the latter days. What is meant by the phrase in the latter days? Well, obviously it's a future. It's the future. Sometimes in scripture, it's, it's, a, it's, it's practically an immediate future. Like at the end of Job 42, verse 12, um, we read, uh, quote, and the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. Uh, in that context, the latter days refer to the, the golden years of Job's lifetime, if you will. So it's, it's in the future, but in the you know, really very near future. Uh, or last week we saw Daniel 
you know, Daniel, when he's preparing to articulate Nebuchadnezzar's dream, uh, he says in chapter two, verse 28, he says to Nebuchadnezzar, there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Uh, of course, now Daniel is speaking of things that will take place centuries later. And in one sense, Daniel is speaking of things that won't even find their complete consummation until the end of the age when Jesus returns. So you see, the latter days can cover the immediate future or they can cover the very end of time and can become and can cover everything that's in between. Um, here's another one, Joel 2.28. In Joel 2.28, you don't need to turn there, just listen. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Some of us are more familiar with that than others. But if you're familiar with that, you'll say, you know, that sounds really familiar. That sounds a lot like what Peter preaches at Pentecost in Acts chapter two. And that's correct. That's what Peter is, is citing from at Pentecost and uh, at Pentecost in Acts chapter two. Of course, that's where the Holy Spirit is descending upon the church. Jesus has ascended. Uh, he's been crucified. He's been raised. He has ascended to the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He promised to send the helper, the Holy Spirit. Uh, the church is gathered there and Jesus makes good on his promise and uh, the Holy Spirit descends upon uh, the congregation that is there and Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and etc. Why do I bring that to your attention? Because we're in the last days. We're in the latter days, if you will. That speaks to the age that we're in. What age would that be? It's the age between Christ's ascension and his return. It's the present hour. It's the present hour. Now, it's obvious from Peter's words that there's still much that awaits, and it's obvious from from Isaiah 2 that there's still much that waits, but uh, more about that here in a couple of minutes. The second phrase in verse 2 that warrants comment is the mountain of the house of the Lord. What is meant by that? The mountain of the house of the Lord. Well, it was widely believed in Isaiah's day that the gods made their home in the mountains. That's where the gods dwell. They dwell in the mountains. That's where they made their home. So God is here speaking in a way that people can understand. And centuries and centuries later, we still get it. I mean, think about it. I, I would guess that every one of us think of God as being high and lifted up, right? Far above everything. That's how we think of God. Isaiah 33, 5 says, the Lord is exalted for he dwells on high. And it is in verse two where we find the word establishment. Um, establishment. Verse two, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountains of the house of the Lord shall be established. That's an interesting word. It's, it comes to us from the Latin adjective stabilis, uh, which means stable. Stable, like if we use the word unstable a lot, like if a person's physical condition becomes unstable, uh, well, then they're in ICU or they're in CCU, right? Um, or we think of emotional Stability. If a person is emotionally unstable or if a person is mentally unstable or a person is 
um, uh, uh, spiritually unstable. We, we, we use that word all the time. And I think you can hear that word stable buried in the word establishment, a stable meant. Uh, a person who is stable is a person who is firm. Uh, there's a firm foundation. So to establish something is this, to set up a firm and permanent uh, foundation. Our text tells us in the latter days, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established. It shall be set up. It shall be uh, set upon a, a, a sound foundation as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. Now, how will this establishment take place? Uh, I'm going to borrow a word from Alec Matier and his commentary on Isaiah. He uses the word magnetism. There's this divine magnetism, if you will. Uh, we're told that the house of the Lord will be established as the highest of the mountains, shall be lifted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. All peoples, if you will, shall flow to it. How is it that they're going to flow to it? There's this divine magnetism that is going to draw them, if you will. It's going to gather them. It's going to draw them. And the Holy Spirit will enable men, women, and children from all nations to forsake the false gods that they're worshiping and embrace the true God through Christ Jesus. And verse 3, many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. Verse 3 is the language of conversion, isn't it? It's the language of conversion. It's the language of regeneration. It's the language of those who've heard the gospel and have responded in faith. It's the language of those who've embraced Christ Jesus. It's the language of those who are trusting in the person and work of Christ for the salvation of their sins. That's what verse three is about. And I want you to listen to the similarity here. Uh, some of us are really familiar with Matthew 28. You know, the Lord has been crucified. He's been raised. And just before he ascends to the father, he gives marching orders to the church. And he says, listen, I want you to go and make disciples of who? All nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And um, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Correct? Does that sound about right? Think of the similarity between Isaiah 2 and Matthew 28. All nations. The mountain of the house of the Lord is going to be established and there's going to be this, this, this flow of all nations and all peoples are going to flow up to uh, the mountain of the house of the Lord. Go, make disciples of all nations. People are going to say, oh, come, let's... Let's go up to the house of the Lord. Let's go up to the house of the Lord that we might learn his ways, that we might walk in them. And in a cold December morning in 2017, people wake up and they'll say, you know what? It's time to go. And to go out on a day like this to the mountain of the house of the Lord 
that we might what? We might learn his ways. I mean, why else did you come here this morning? Is it because the preacher is tall and handsome? Just wanted to make sure you weren't frozen. Is it because of our new state-of-the-art and cutting-edge youth center that we just built? Why else are you here? See, I, I, if we had the money to build that youth center, I wouldn't really want to build it anyway. Because I don't want people to come here because of a youth center. I want people to come here because of Isaiah 2. So let the Lord bring them in. There's nothing about a, a youth center in Isaiah 2. I'm not saying it's bad to have a youth center. Don't misunderstand me. But I, I just, I'm always reflecting on the words I heard Mark Dever say years ago. That what you win people with is what you win them to. Why are we here this morning? Because we, you know, we open up our Bibles and we go verse by verse, don't we? Because the word is, the word doesn't change. We need something in our lives that doesn't change. And it's trust, it's trustworthy. And we hear things every day that aren't trustworthy. We need to hear something that's trustworthy. And quite frankly, you know, we need hope. We really need hope. You know, I know, I know, I know a man whose his wife has been suffering from from uh, thyroid disease for almost thirty years, and through a few events that really it seems like the Lord is involved in. Well, I know the Lord's involved in all events, but this one, um, you just got to say, you know, God's God's in this. I think God's in this. His wife's been able to see one of the top three doctors in the nation in thyroid disease. And um, she's not going to be able to be treated for about six weeks. But they're already doing better. Now, some of them say, why are they doing better if she hasn't been treated? It's because hope. They found somebody they think can help them. And I hope that he can just one warning shot about that. The hope's resting on a poor foundation. He may be the top doctor in the United States or the top one of the top three, but he's still a man. When our hope is in something other than God, it's not on the best of foundations, is it? But what we come to here, but, but my, my, my point of my illustration is you see what hope can do. The effects of hope, it breathes, it breathes life, doesn't it? Just like when you turn the lights on, darkness flees. You know, when you turn hope on, hopelessness flees. And it, it changes everything when we have hope. Well, the word that we're looking at here this morning is not resting on a poor foundation. It is established. Establement. It is established. It's not going to change. It's trustworthy. And it's life-giving, isn't it? And I, I don't know if you realize it or you've probably already put it together, but we're actually seeing Isaiah 2 being fulfilled right here in our midst. You got up this morning, didn't you? And 
He went out there in that. How many wanted to go out there in that? It's not the nicest of mornings, is it? The roads aren't real good. It's really cold. But why did you do it? It's because the Lord's leading you. He's making good on this promise. It's not going to change. It's trustworthy. And it's life-giving, isn't it? It's life-giving. So in conclusion, as we turn to 2018, come. There's much more in Isaiah 2, 1 to 5. We have to skip some of it, but I, I skip a few things down to verse 5. And in conclusion, I'll say, come. Let us walk in the light of the Lord, shall we? Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you, your word is so magnificent and precious and fascinating and life-changing, life-giving. And Father, we thank you and praise you that, uh, Father, uh, it's amazing. Here we are. Um, there's so many things left to be fulfilled in our, in in Isaiah 2, but we see it being fulfilled in our midst. We're, we're moving in one direction, and all of a sudden, by way of your Holy Spirit, we find ourselves turning and being moved in the opposite direction. And Father, we thank you that, Father, you love us so, and uh, we thank you, Father, that uh, uh, you're doing your, your, your great work right in our midst, Father. So, Lord, what do we say in response to these things? Uh, uh, we, we say thanks and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Mm-hmm.